0: talk about politics and policy and a chance for us to uh, hear from you about what's on
1: your mind. So, uh, Jeff, good to be here with you. Good to be back with you as well. Celeste, you did a fantastic job this week with your uh, coverage prior to the uh, President's State of the Union Address, so... kudos to you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. It was uh, really fun to be here this week uh, on Tuesday night to break that down. And I was uh, lucky to have the opportunity, had some good guests and some great callers. Um, so today we are continuing our coverage of the New York City public advocate race, which is super packed. And we're doing this in conjunction with our colleagues here at WBAI, Max and Murphy. They're on, uh, Wednesday. Afternoons, And we're interviewing candidates in the uh, February 26th election to find a new advocate to succeed, Letitia James, obviously, who is now our state attorney general. So last night was the first public debate for public advocate with 10 of the 17 candidates on the ballot. We'd like to know, what uh, did you watch? What do you think? Uh, who did you like? Who did you not like? Give us a call. 212-209-2881.
1: And if you do, did not know, if you did not know, and are a listener on uh, to WBAI, we are in the winter fund drive right now, and both Celeste and I are what is known, what are, was known as a BAI buddy, and we're encouraging you, if you listen and enjoy our show or enjoy any of the shows on BAI, to please become a WBAI buddy and please pledge to give a recurring donation of even as low as ten dollars a month. All you've got to do is call 516-620-3602 or go online at Give2, that's the number 2, WBAI.org. And today, if you become a BAI buddy in the name of our show, Driving Forces, the first seven people to do so are going to get a free book, a very timely book, Anatomy of Innocence, Testimonies of the Wrongly Convicted. And this is by Laura Caldwell and Leslie Klinger. So we're encouraging you to please pledge become a BAI. BAI. BAI, buddy, it's very important at this time. We want to keep BAI on the air and keep the commercial-free programming that we're able to provide you with.
0: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, BAI really, really does, maybe a lot of places say that, but uh, WBUI, uh, BAI, uh, provides very different programming than you get elsewhere, than you will get on uh, network television, uh, that you'll get on, uh, you know, other forms of of broadcast, satellite, radio. We really like to involve the community. We're volunteers here. And uh, so we need your help to keep the lights on and to keep improving our equipment so we can
1: bring you the best possible programming. And speaking of the best possible programming, that will bring us to our first guest because we're going to continue to talk about the public advocates race as we've been doing with Max and Murphy over the last several weeks. Coming up on the show today will be two of the candidates who were not on the first public debate last night, but we are proud to bring on one of our friends who uh, is a political reporter for Spectrum New York One News, Grace Rao. You probably have watched her. Uh, I've known her for years. She's fantastic and also has a recently launched podcast called Off Topic on Politics. So we thought we'd have Grace on the show to kind of give uh, her analysis of this debate last night. Grace, welcome to Driving Forces.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Jeff and Bless. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. This is really cool, since we've all known each other for such a long time. Um, Yeah, I had a front row seat last night because I was one of the panelists at that televised debate, and it is no small feat to try and wrangle and move through important policy matters when you have 10 candidates Sharing the stage, but I think we were able to do it effectively and have a very substantive debate. But as you can imagine, with a field this crowded, the biggest challenge for all of these candidates is getting themselves known and having some sort of message, some something that distinguishes them from the crowd. So I want to start, uh, in terms of impressions, with uh, the candidate who I would argue is the most distinguishable from this crowd, and that is City Councilman Eric Ulrich, who is from Queens. But he stands out because he is the only Republican in this race. And so last night, he wasn't labeling himself or calling himself a Republican. His opponents were. But he tried to present himself uh, as the most anti-De Blasio candidate. So his message basically was that electing him public advocate would be mayor de blasio's worst nightmare that he would be willing to stand up to the mayor on any number of issues um and so if you don't like what de blasio is doing vote for eric ulrich so that was his the lane that he was trying to carve out and then two of the other candidates that we were watching very closely who it's, it's hard to say who the front runner is but i would say who come into this race with a lot of name recognition and institutional support that former city council speaker Melissa Mark Vivarito and Brooklyn City Councilman Jumani Williams, who ran unsuccessfully in the Democratic primary for lieutenant governor, but came very close and got a lot of statewide recognition. So so both of them came under attack from their rivals as well.
0: So what did you feel like uh, was the, the sort of general tenor, I, you know, seeing some of the highlights? I, I saw that there was a, a bit of an exchange between, for example, uh, Councilman Williams and one of the other candidates, uh, some confusion over an endorsement, perhaps, or uh, you know. Uh, that was a, a bit of a flashpoint there. But did you think people were more there to promote themselves or more there to sort of knock the stuffing out of the other people uh, on the stage? You know, I
2: think to be successful, you had to be able to do both, frankly. So distinguish yourself and then make sure that you got into the conversation. So I definitely give points to former investigative journalist, Nomiki Konst, for inserting herself into any number of debates throughout the evening. She was seated on the far end of this row. We had 10, 10 people up, so she was on the far side. And every opportunity she could, she tried to jump in. She's She's trying to, one of her key platforms is she says she wants to raise the minimum wage in New York to $30 an hour. And we should note that the public advocate does have the ability to introduce legislation in the city council, um, but you know, this is not like the mayor, they don't have executive powers to enact anything like that. Um, But as much as possible, she tried to insert herself and also call out as somebody who has not held elected office before, she turned on pretty much all of her other rivals. There's there was only one other uh, woman up there, Dawn Smalls, who also has not held uh, elected office before. But no, Miki's message was look, these politicians, they are all in the pocket of big real estate, whether they admit it or not. They all take real estate money, and she's trying to present herself as an independent.
1: And who were the most common targets? Because what I read about this morning, it seemed like it was the mayor, the governor, and Amazon.
2: That's right. Yes. Amazon, uh, I would say, was the number one target in all of this. Only Eric Ulrich. Uh, the Republican is in favor of having Amazon come to New York, says it's a great deal, 25,000 jobs over 10 years, maybe even more, and that that's a good thing for the city. The other candidates, uh, for some of them, it's a, it's a tough topic to talk about because a number of them, including Melissa Mark Viverito and Jumani Williams, they signed on to a letter back in The fall of 2017 basically saying to amazon we want you to come here please 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 come to new york city and set up shop since the deal was announced with the governor and the mayor they flipped their position and said actually we don't like this deal we don't want amazon to come we want this whole process to be scrapped and and start all over again because they feel like uh local representatives the city council was cut out of any type of negotiation so They're making a process argument, but they're essentially saying we don't want Amazon. And and even a question that was asked during the lightning round around about do you use Amazon, people seem to be sort of tying themselves into knots, many of the candidates, to say, you know, my spouse uses Amazon, or I really try not to (laughs) as much as possible, you know, (laughs) only Don Smalls. Don Smalls admitted that, you know, she has young children and that, yes, she does use Amazon, you know, just sort of a point of fact.
1: Yeah. And then a question you'll have to ask in the next debate, given the presidential election is, are you still drinking Starbucks?
2: <laughs> right. Exactly. That did not come up last night.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm curious if anyone kind of. You know, I'm saying let you down, but anyone did not make any impression as you looked at the 10 candidates and heard from them? Anyone who kind of surprised you because they didn't really define themselves or stand out last night?
2: You know, it's interesting. I moderated a panel um, a few weeks ago with several of the candidates that the gay men's health crisis put on with the new school. And I had not seen Dawn Smalls, who is an, an attorney who worked for the Obama administration. I hadn't really seen her in action in in a setting like that. And I thought she was very strong on the stage uh, of the forum that I moderated previously. Last night, though, I thought she struggled um, to stand out, to get her message out. And this is the kind of situation, Jeff, you know, you worked in television also, where you know practice is is very important and so for these elected officials they routinely come on new york one they do television interviews they've been in debates before they know how to sort of turn it on um when the cameras start rolling in a high stakes televised debate like this and she seemed to falter at times and i thought underperformed especially in comparison with the way i saw her uh previously
0: uh, Grace, I'm interested to know, uh, you know, as somebody who has covered uh, public advocate contests before, when I was at the the Daily News and so on, there are a lot of people, um, you know, maybe don't know as much about advocate as they know about the other uh, the other offices like city council, mayor, uh, even controller. Uh, how do you get the public sort of, uh, you know, interested in and excited about this? How do you formulate questions to get at what the purpose of the office is supposed to be and why why it matters?
2: I mean, that that is certainly a big challenge. I think the main not the main reason, but one key reason why people should tune into this race is because it has been such a powerful launching pad for politicians in recent years. So Letitia James, the previous public advocate, now attorney general for the state of New York, Bill de Blasio was public advocate. Now he's the mayor. Um, and and b- earlier than that, Mark Green, the former public advocate, almost became mayor, although he lost to mike bloomberg uh back in 2000 but excuse me yeah 2001 but he uh that position has has a lot of influence it's an incredibly influential perch so if you care if you're a new yorker and you care who is going to be running the city let's say in 2021 you definitely want to tune into this race because whoever wins this is going to potentially be in a very strong position to run for mayor in 2021 or any number of other positions that come up but But also, it is a it's a position where you can you have a bully pulpit. You can command the media if you use your position strategically, and you can seize on key issues that are important to New Yorkers that may be getting other overlooked by other representatives in government.
1: So now this was the first of the two debates. This, we had uh, 10 candidates of the 17, and they had to, for listeners, they had to meet certain uh, fundraising criteria to be able to be eligible for this. What happens next? Because I understand it gets a little more, or much more stringent for the next debate.
2: Right. So to make this initial debate that was held last night, you had, as a candidate, you had to have raised and spent close to $57,000 on your campaign. The next debate is going to be February 20th at 7 p.m. And to qualify for that debate, candidates must have raised and spent one, more than $170,000. So it's, it's, that's a much higher financial bar. So we are expecting potentially a smaller universe of candidates. Um, And the idea is that 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 is meant to represent the, quote, leading contenders in this race, because, you know, I I think the campaign finance board, which sponsors these debates, organizes them um, in conjunction with New York One and Politico New York. The idea is that, you know, we want voters to be as educated as possible about the candidates. And this is one way of determining which candidates, you know, may be the most serious, may have the most support. Based on how much money they're able to bring into their campaign.
0: And uh, if you are just joining us, by the way, this is Driving Forces on WBAI. 99.5 FM and streaming live on WBAI.org. Celeste Katz and Jeff Simmons here speaking with Grace Rao of New York One about the public advocate race. And uh, Grace, this is something that we've brought up in some of our other uh, discussions of public advocate, but this is a weirdly timed election. You know, it's, a, it's sort of the dead of winter. It's a uh, an office that maybe some people are not terribly familiar with. Uh, and it's great that uh, you guys are, are giving some publicity some attention and uh to the candidates and to the office. A little bit of a crystal ball thing, but what's your prediction for how many people actually show up to vote in this oh, thing? I
2: don't know. I mean I think it's gonna be sort of probably some kind of record low, <laughs> I would think, for a citywide race, to be to be totally honest, despite the fact that we saw record turnout in uh last year in New York in the governor's race, we saw record high turnout because so many voters have been so engaged, particularly since the election of President Trump. But this is a special election. It's flying below the radar. I mean, one pretty incredible and astounding um, figure to throw out there for your listeners, Celeste, is that the budget, the annual budget for the Office of Public Advocate is $3 million a year. In the realm of city government, that's very small. The projected cost for this special election is around 20 million dollars so they are spending taxpayers are spending many times more on this special election than they do on the annual budget uh for this office which may seem somewhat backwards in terms of the, our, our budget yeah, priorities it's certainly,
0: it's certainly it certainly is i just i you know uh I remember, actually, I'll just one, one quick uh, uh, flashback. I do remember uh, covering uh, the public advocates race one year where there was a runoff. There was a, a runoff forced because nobody reached the threshold to win outright. And I believe the cost of the runoff alone was something like 13 or $14 million. And at the time, uh, the budget for the office was uh, $3 million or, or less. And it was just sort of astounding to me how much money was going into... Uh, picking some of you to to do the job compared to to the uh, actual budget of the office itself.
2: Oh absolutely. I mean there have as you know been called to eliminate this position altogether. Yeah. we did not hear anyone advocate for that at last night's debate. Um, <laughs> oddly enough. Although, yes, exactly. So they, they all seem to think that it is it is an important office hence they're running for it.
1: So, Grace, uh, in the final minute, any final thoughts about, you know, what you want people to start looking at and paying attention to, especially if they're hearing this and they're unfamiliar with the candidates? What should they do next?
2: Well, you know, so we have the debate on our website, ny1.com. So if you missed it and want to go back and look through for yourself, you certainly can. I think for New Yorkers, they need to think about what is most important to them in this position. Do they want someone who is going to oppose the mayor at every turn, do they want someone who is going to, um, has, has more experience in government? Is that a plus? Is that a negative? Do they want someone who is an outsider, who's never held elected office before? Um, to, to sort of think of those things as they make their decisions. All these candidates have a lot of material, online, uh, political reporters like ourselves. We've been covering this race, so you certainly can read up about it and make an informed decision. And I would say, bottom line, the best thing you can do is go out and vote and get your friends to vote and just make sure people are aware of the election on February 26.
1: Grace Rao, thank you so much for joining us. And please keep uh, the Thursday after the election free, because I think we're going to be coming back to you for some post, uh, post-election uh, analysis.
2: Oh, fun. I would love that. Thank you for having me on. Love talking to you.
1: Thank you. So uh, as we move ahead, mm-hmm. we're going to come up to uh, two candidates uh, right. who did not make it onto the debate last night, uh, but they still are on the ballot. Right. Um, you know, and we've talked about the 17... 17- Uh, People on the ballot, one of them had tried to get her name, uh, Latrice Walker.
0: Yeah, she was, I believe she had changed her mind. and She wanted to have her name uh, removed from the ballot. But uh, as as we've previously discussed here on driving forces, that's not always easy to do. I think there are, uh, once the ballots are are done, you know, there are only certain ways to avoid uh, actually being a competitor. And uh, if I remember correctly, you can die, you know, not not, uh, not a recommended uh, uh, not a recommended way, but you can be uh, you can move you can move away from New York, or you can I believe be uh, nominated or appointed to a judgeship. But otherwise, uh, you're kind of stuck. Even if you don't want to participate in the election, your name may still be on the ballot. It's not that easy to just walk away.
1: And a few minutes ago, before we get to the next guest, a few minutes ago, Grace talked about the uh, the cost of the election and the size of the budget, the cost of the election, 20 million and uh, the budget being three. Well, we have another figure for you. $10 a month. You become a BAI buddy, pledge $10 a month. That's it. Come on. That's 120, right? 120. That is a huge bargain. You just have to pledge at 516-620-3602 or go online to give Mm -hmm. to, that's the number two, WBAI.org and make a pledge. Keep us on the air. Keep this this commercial-free programming. We're all volunteers. Keep us on the air. That would be fantastic to become a BAI buddy in the name of driving forces. And you can get Get some valuable prizes as well. Actually, I, I am a BAI
0: buddy, as is Jeff here, and uh, I got a very swanky tote bag, and I got a membership card with my name on it, and I felt pretty cool. And I felt cool not just because I had all these, uh, you know, nice swag things, but I felt good about supporting community radio because, look, this is a place where you're going to hear a lot of different kinds of voices. We often hear, and frankly, as somebody who's worked uh, as a political reporter for more than 20 years. Uh, I've heard it too. A lot of people say, you know, there are just certain stories and certain voices that we don't hear in mainstream media. Uh, certain people who are, are not getting the attention uh, and uh, the, sort of their, uh, their share of the time uh, as they deserve. And WBI, uh, just, excuse me, WBAI is a place where uh, you can hear those voices. And I think that's really, really something
1: uh, meaningful to support So uh, just a little bit of detail before Celeste introduces our guest. Uh, Voting is vital to our democracy, so please mark on your calendars February 26th. Uh, It is too late, if I'm correct, it is too late to be able to uh, register uh, in specific ways. But if you need, yeah, if you needed to register to vote or update your registration, you could have done so uh, a week ago, but you can still go in person at the Board of Elections until February 16th. Uh, And to register to vote, find out more information about your polling site, go to voting.nyc, or you could even call 311.
0: Absolutely, so we are going to come to our next guest right now, and that is David Eisenbach. He's one of the 17 17 candidates on the ballot on uh, February twenty sixth. He's a professor at Columbia, he's an author, and he has actually run for public advocate in the past. Uh, His campaign is focused on working New Yorkers, uh, homelessness, NYCHA residents, uh, small business owners, people with disabilities, Uh, and CUNY students, uh, among others, and he says on his campaign platform, I don't want to be the mayor. I don't want to be the mayor. I'm not using this office as a stepping stone. So, uh, David Eisenbach, welcome to Driving Forces. Glad to have you with us.
3: Thank you very much. I'm actually uh, at Brooklyn College right now before yet another Candidates Forum for Public Advocate.
0: Okay, great. So, uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself and uh, specifically why this office is interesting to you. What, What do you think you can do with it?
3: Well, to me, it's the voice of the people. Uh, It's just what WBAI tries to do uh, in raising awareness about what's actually going on in the city. And we're in a historic moment. We have a Democratic mayor, a so-called progressive, and a Democratic city council. And they're giving away our city with rezonings to big real estate. Uh, I want to take back our city because uh, it's not a coincidence that we have record homelessness and record displacement under this
1: mayor. So, you know, it's interesting. Some of the coverage I've been reading recently has been, you know, angled in this race about that we have, um, you know, white men holding uh, uh, New York City's top posts and that the public advocate hopefuls want to change that. Your thoughts on that?
3: Well, I understand that. Uh, and I and I uh, am in agreement with that in principle. Uh, but I do not want to see Melissa Mar-Vitrino, uh who is a city council member who rezoned her district in East Harlem, uh, Yadonis Rodriguez, uh, he voted to rezone his district in Wood, Washington Heights. And what we're seeing there already is mass displacement, mainly of people of color. And big real estate has targeted communities of color all around the city. So while I am a white man, uh, nonetheless, I'm the one who's actually standing up and saying, enough's enough. We cannot keep on displacing the most vulnerable populations, immigrant populations from our city, uh, and still be a great New York.
0: And uh, as far as pursuing those goals by, uh, say, if you are elected public advocate, uh, one of the things we've talked about with this office is, uh, you know, it, it does have a lot of potential, uh, as a, as a platform, it gives you a, a soapbox, a way to communicate with the people and call out things that are wrong to give voice to, uh, the problems that regular New Yorkers have, but it doesn't necessarily have a lot of statutory power in itself to change things. You can't, uh, That's right. you know, you can't uh, right. arrest people. You can't, uh, pass laws unilaterally. You can suggest them, uh, you can undertake investigations, but how would you get those things done within the confine of an office that doesn't have those kinds of regulatory or executive powers and doesn't necessarily have a lot of money?
3: It's all about the power of the the bully pulpit. Uh, You're given this prime uh, spot in the spotlight of the New York City media to then turn the spotlight onto all the issues uh, that are ignored by the mayor and by the city council. So, as public advocate, I would look directly at the rezonings and this sham uh, uh, affordable housing program scheme of the mayor, uh, and shine a light on how that's actually displacing mainly people of color in New York. I would shine a light on the small business crisis and all these empty storefronts, and how we have a bill in front of the city council called the Small Business Job Survival Act. Uh, that will actually give small business owners rights so they can stay in their business, so that we can keep the bodegas uh, in in business and not have them displaced uh, like everybody else. And so that's the power of the office. It's really just using the bully pulpit to to just speak out uh, and call out the, the mayor.
1: But in addition to the bully pulpit, uh, One of the other roles you would have as public advocate is you would have a seat on uh, the retirement funds, such as NICERS. And, you know, I seem to recall when I was with the controller's office, we were often, uh, you know, in sync with uh, then public advocate Betsy Gottbaum as far as calling on the city to divest from certain types of businesses. Are there any specific ones where you would, as public advocate, want the city to divest from?
3: I would like to see a divestment from fossil fuels. Uh, not only do we have uh, uh, environmental damage, uh, but also
4: human rights damage.
3: Uh, I'm, I'm a big critic of Saudi Arabia, uh, and I, I feel as though we, sh- we still haven't gotten to the bottom of Saudi Arabia's involvement uh, in 9-11. So anything in connection to tyrannical regimes, uh, states that sponsored terrorism, uh, s- companies that help destroy the environment, uh, I would like to divest from.
1: And you also get to appoint a point to rep to the uh, city planning commission and uh we were talking about or i think you had mentioned real estate i'm just curious if what concerns you might have had about any of the positions that the city planning commission has taken over the years
3: absolutely well we just look at the rezonings. uh these are these are not plans for the long-term health of the city when they allow the building of a luxury tower with a little set aside of affordable housing all the landlords in the surrounding buildings start to see dollar signs, they jack up the rents, that leads to the historic displacement and homelessness. I want to p- appoint somebody, one of the, jo- one of the, uh, the powers of, this, of the public advocate is to appoint somebody to the Pu- city planning commission. I would appoint an anti-rezoning activist, and I would work with that activist to bring transparency to the city planning commission. What happens right now is, A lot of these deals get done behind closed doors. By the time they get announced and presented to the public, it's too late. I want to bring transparency and make sure that communities can get involved in opposition to rezoning. Uh, before it's before the the process even really gets started.
1: So, speaking of behind closed doors, one of the uh, issues that came up in the debate last night, a common target was the Amazon deal. I have a feeling I know what you're going to say, but don't want to put words in your mouth. What do you think of this uh, deal, and uh, what do you think should happen?
3: Well, I think you you, you obviously can anticipate my position, but <laughs> we need to put it within the context of the greater strategy of big real estate. Uh, Rebney, uh in displacement and replacement. They want to get rid of long-term New Yorkers, and they want to replace them with high-income individuals. This, that's their words. Uh, so this Amazon deal is just one of many deals uh, that are designed particularly to get rid of working New Yorkers and replace them uh, with people with a lot of money. Uh, so well, how am I going to pose it? Well, uh, one thing is I'm going to make try to reform the city planning committee, uh, the EULER process so that uh, rezonings now have to get approved by community boards, essentially giving communities veto power over rezonings. Uh, As far as the Amazon deal is concerned, uh, we need to do whatever we can to stop it.
0: And uh, you have been listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. Celeste Katz and Jeff Simmons here. And we are talking about the public advocate race in New York City right now. And uh, just to uh, just to throw back to uh, some of the questions maybe that were asked during the debate, um you know, obviously there were some candidates that did not make it onto the stage for that debate because of, of, uh, you know, where they were uh, on the board financially. I was just wondering, how did you feel uh, about the fact that there is this sort of cutoff? Is that, is that a fair measure? Or do you think that it's sort of Look, restrictive?
3: It's ridiculous. The, the, the campaign finance board uh, was created to encourage people like me, non-politicians to get involved in the democratic process. Uh, But what has happened is they uh, have created this system that makes the rich candidates get richer with city taxpayer money. I mean, it it is absolutely ridiculous. And then they come in and say, if you haven't raised enough money from enough people and spent enough, you can't participate in the debate. So so this institution, the CFP, that was created to expand democracy is actually restricting democracy. We need to get rid of it and implement something like uh, my running mate in the last election, Sal Albanese, proposed democracy vouchers. Every New Yorker should get a little bit of money, a little voucher for money, uh, to give to candidates at their choice. If we're going to spend the money expanding democracy, we should get and give the people the power, not the big contributors.
1: I did not recall that Sal Albanese was your running mate. Do you think he's going to run for office again?
3: I don't know. I don't know. I know he's serving on right now the, the charter... Uh, commission Review Board, uh, so that that is definitely occupying his attention. Uh, but I would I would hope to see if he could run in twenty twenty one.
0: Yeah, definitely uh, definitely someone we have seen uh, uh, in in many forums on the uh, on the New York political scene. So uh, I guess uh, uh, going back for just one more second as we start to uh, wrap it up here. Uh, given that the CFB rules are what they are, and maybe we'll you know see them change as time goes on, but uh, in such a crowded field and without perhaps, at least so far, the benefit of uh, of being able to get into these uh, debates and, and be on stage and so on. How do you go about get your message out? Uh, we've seen some candidates that were, were underestimated certainly do a very good job of uh, connecting with the public. What's your strategy?
3: Right. Well, in uh, 2017, I ran against Tish James in the Democratic primary, uh, and I got 92,000 votes, almost 25 percent of the vote. I did it without any help from the CIB or New York One, for that matter. Uh, I got the message out uh, that the city is heading in the wrong direction. We need to take it back from big real estate. Uh, somehow the word gets out. And if people show up on February 26th, we can take back the city. Uh, don't be fooled by New York One or the corporate media into believing that this is an election with between just four candidates, right? Uh, whoever you want to vote for, get out and vote, uh, and we can change. We can change things and make history.
1: David, uh, you might have said this, and if I missed it, I'm sorry. What place on the ballot are you? Do you know what spot?
3: <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know what place I am, but I do know my party. It's called the Stop Rebney Party. Each candidate in the special election gets to name their own party. So, if you want to stop Rebney, I'm your guy. Uh, February 26.
1: David Eisenbach, thank you for joining Celeste Katz and me, Jeff Simmons, here on WBAI.
3: Thank you very much.
1: OK, we would like to take some listener calls. If you watched the debate last night, if you've read about the debate, if you have an opinion on the public advocates race, please give us a call. The number is 212-209-2877. Celeste is chomping at the bit to discuss this with you yeah. and find out what your impressions have been of this race and of the debate last night. Yeah,
0: 212 209 two And, uh, you know what, even if you didn't watch the debate, or even if you are still catching up, uh, here's a question. Do we need a public advocate? Uh, uh, Jeff and I had on the program one time uh, former Governor David Patterson, and we asked him about some scuttlebutt that he might actually be interested one day in uh, pursuing public advocate. And I think he said he would rather spend time in a penitentiary uh, (laughs) than than subject himself to running for for public advocate advocate. And uh, he also, uh, as I recall, said that uh, the public advocate's main job is to sit around and wait for the mayor to get indicted. So uh, does New York need a public advocate? We'd like to hear from you. 212-209-2877. We have someone on the line. Uh, Great. Hey, uh, this is WBAI. Uh, What's your name and where are you calling from? You're on the air.
5: Oh, hi, I'm Jessica from Staten Island, New York. How are you? Good, good,
0: good. So uh, public advocate, what do you think?
5: Well, I think it's a, it's interesting how much uh, money, I guess, we could be spending on this race. It's, it's hard. I think what a lot of them aren't talking about is their limited policy positions. Obviously, they have a position for advocating. I think probably uh, Viverito will win the day. Um, but, yeah, it's an interesting position because there's not much, there's not any legislating going on, but they do have really big policy positions. So. That's really all I wanted
1: to say about it. I'm curious. What was your reason for thinking uh, Melissa Mark Fiverito would win?
5: Well, you know, I'm in Staten Island. Um, I do work in Brooklyn as well, but she is all over the place. She was very strong in her debate, Um, but most importantly, she's the only one that I've seen at events across multiple boroughs. I haven't met the other candidates. I haven't seen. I know Yudanis was at an event on Staten Island as well. But she really seems to get out there, and, you know, she always has. So I I do think that goes a long way with people in the outer boroughs because, you know, I hear the same thing that she's in Queens, um, kind of these pocket places that people tend to forget about.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much for your call. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, Again, you're listening to WBAI. 99.5 fm and streaming live at wbai.org we do want to hear from you i'm celeste katz here with jeff simmons our numbers 212-209-2877 212-209-2877
1: And if you are listening, we just want to remind you, it is the Winter Fund Drive and we're asking you to please pledge become a BAI buddy in the name of Driving Forces so that Celeste and I can continue to stay on the air because we really enjoy this. If you become a BAI buddy by calling 516-620-3602 or going online at give2wbai.org, the first seven callers who do this tonight will be able to get copies of a book that has been uh, that we have here. We have seven copies of them. It's called *Anatomy of Innocence: Testimonies of the Wrongly Convicted* by Laura Caldwell and Leslie Klinger. And uh, this is a groundbreaking anthology in which 14 exonerated inmates narrate their stories to a roster of high-profile mystery and thriller writers like Lee Child and Jan Burke and S.J. Rosen. And apparently. Uh, there is one uh, exploration of a previously unpublished essay by playwright Arthur Miller in there wow, as well. Wow! Wow! So please become a BAI buddy tonight by calling five one six six two zero three six zero two and just say you're doing it in the name of driving forces, and this will make Celeste very very happy.
0: Yes, and it would make me. It would also make me happy if uh, if we had some people call in to talk about this, and because you know what, listener calls are one of my favorite parts of the program. Typically, two one two. 209 2877. 212 209 2877. And uh, we have uh, somebody calling in right now, or we are. Uh, we do. Okay, great. Uh, BAI, you're on the air. Uh, where are you calling from, and what's your name?
4: I'm calling from Manhattan, and my name is Frank.
0: Okay, so what do you think about the public advocate, Frank?
4: I think they ought to abolish the position. Okay. If you know the history of how, the, how it came about. Mm hmm. Okay, you have to go back many, many years. Many of you listeners may not remember this, but the city had several positions that were, in addition to the mayor, that were voted on citywide. Okay. hmm And 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 the which and they were on the board of estimate. Yep. And the board of estimate had to be abolished because a U.S. Supreme Court case said. That it violated one person, one vote, and they had to restructure the entire city government, and that included getting rid of somebody who was called the city council president, which is not the cu- the current person who's chosen by the members of the city council to lead the city council. Right, and the incumbent there, they didn't want to throw the incumbent out, so they had to create a position for him. So, I think it was a man who was in. the at the time, and they invented this position in which essentially you do nothing. You don't vote on anything. You don't... All you basically do is kibitz. And that's the only reason the position was created. And that was simply used for people as a placeholder while they wait to to run for mayor or controller or something else. It's a ridiculous position. It was created only... To give this one guy a place to go when they restructured the city, it's nonsense. Okay, it's a nonsense position. It never should have. It, it never should have been created, and they should get rid of it.
0: Okay, so uh, what would you do with the money if they did get rid of it? Say, uh, you know, magic wand, poof, it's gone. Now you have three so with million. With the money, banks.
4: I don't know. Put what? up a couple of more traffic lights. Uh huh. Whatever. You, whatever the money will be, go for It'll go for something. It simply is used now, basically, as a place from which. A person can mount his or her next campaign.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I uh, I understand, and uh, I think a lot so the of the money. The
4: money, if you use yeah. it to paint to paint crosswalks, it would be a better use of the money.
0: Yeah, that hopefully that would be a lot of crosswalks. Three million dollars, but uh, um,
4: okay. So maybe you build another mile or two of bike lanes. But any anything would be more useful than what it's being used for now.
0: Right. No. Understood. And uh, we appreciate your uh, we appreciate your thoughts on that. And we appreciate you listening to WBAI. So thanks very much for your call. Okay. Um, so yeah, you know that's a that's an interesting question actually. Uh, and there were some interesting uh, uh, suggestions there. If we didn't have this office, and I'm not advocating, <laughs> haha, for or against uh, getting rid of the office, but. Uh, is there something else that you would do with the money if uh, if this office were to be abolished? Or do you think there is something that the office could be doing that you would like to see it doing? Uh, people you would like to see it helping or defending, a cause uh, that it could take up that you don't feel like is being addressed right now. Uh, give us a call again, 212-209-2877. We really do wanna hear from you. This is your city, this is your money. Uh, You know, we want to hear what you think. 212-209-2877.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the key points to think about is something that, you know, we've discussed with candidates is the role of the bully pulpit. You know, by, you know, it's... It, it is for many people seen as a stepping stone because they want this position because they have grander mm-hmm. you know sure. illusions sure. or aspirations. Uh, but you do as the public advocate, you do get a, a lot of media attention. You know, I'm trying to remember when I was with the controller's <laughs> office that you know it was all the media focused on the mayor, the council, the council speaker, and we'd come to the controller's office and we'd come to the advocate because they often thought we're going to be the counterpoint. Uh, to the mayor and often to a number of council members that we will you know it'll be a he said she said type position. So uh,
0: Yeah no very much and you know what it, maybe it's a little bit different now uh, when I was covering uh, Advocate yeah. uh, back when I was at the Daily News, uh, it was perhaps uh, the, the the political landscape was a little bit different. You got to remember this was under Mayor Bloomberg, and uh, Mayor Bloomberg originally, at least, uh, elected as a Republican, and a lot of people, uh, you know, over three terms, uh, you know, may have done a bunch of things that uh, people did not really care for. So uh, there is a. You know, Perhaps a different way uh, uh, that people feel about having a watchdog and who they're watching over. So uh, again, what do you think? Do we, do we need this office? Is there, are there enough people watching over the mayor? Uh, you know, do we, uh, do we have enough uh, places for people to, to lodge complaints about uh, public safety, sanitation, transportation, uh, or is this an office that is still a destination for people who need help? Let us know, 212.
1: 209-2877. And I believe we have a caller on the line. What's your name and where are you from?
6: My name is Dan. I'm calling from the Bronx.
1: Hey, Dan, what's up?
6: Well, I'm listening, and I just turned on the radio and I heard the
3: term public advocate, and I'm not familiar with all aspects of politics. So, what it sounds like is the public gets the person to advocate for what they want. And so, and then they take it to the mayor or the other higher echelons. So I'm saying that how come they just don't get together, all the people, tell the public advocate, we want this, and it gets done, because that's what the public is, for the mayor to work for, and anybody else. Um, That's all I have to say.
7: Thank
0: you. Thank you very much for calling in, Dan, we uh, appreciate it. And that's, I think that brings up a good question, which is that uh, we've had some interviews. We had former public advocate, the first public advocate actually, Mark Green on the program not long ago. And one thing we've been talking about is everyone sees this office differently. Everyone sees its powers differently. Everyone sees its uh, its purpose differently. And so I think that you're gonna see a great uh, deal of variety between all these candidates about what should the public advocate even do
1: that's a very good point and i believe uh, do we have another call on the line okay, great. great we've got another caller what's your name and where are you from
0: diana from
7: brooklyn i would like to say that um i think you are great at advocating for for uh, all the issues um that are being um brought up today and jeffrey was making the great point about about the public advocates bully pulpit um status, you know, and that candidate was named David Eisenbach. Yes, that's correct. I, yes, I thought he was very astute and very, um, um, had a very refined position as far as um, what tack he was planning to um, pursue, and I think he's a people's person. He sounded like the best candidate I've heard so far. Because right. I think WBAI has covered this. I mean, you've you've been trying to um, expose these various candidates yeah, in, in your different shows, and I really appreciate that. But I, this David Eisenbach, I mean, and then this caller calls and says, abolish the position, which is kind of absurd when you have a people person like that. You know, I just thought he sounded really outstanding you know and that's all I
1: wanted to say and thank you very much thank, for, you. thank you very much for calling in about this I hope you're a yes. BAI buddy or will become one yes I am I'm a, more than a good buddy <laughs> thank, thank you, you so much so it's interesting because I've heard you know I've heard criticisms of having the position mm-hmm. and uh, reasons why it's a good position uh, I believe uh, we have another caller on the line great what's your name and where are you from hi welcome to WBAI
8: oh hi thank you um... couple of things first of all i want to say one of the functions of the i am against abolishing the uh, the position for this reason for one reason which is that uh, one of the things that doesn't get mentioned about the function of the other function of the public advocate is the ombudsman which i recently learned is a swedish word i was wondering where that word came from Um and that's someone who helps the uh, individuals in the public uh, get services and I know someone who was able to do that some, many many years ago she was having trouble getting some benefits that were due to her on the city level and she called at that time it was the speaker the ombudsman was the speaker of the city council this mm-hmm. was many years ago right mm-hmm. A president of the city council, and she got some action that way. So this function of the ombudsman, which is to help the public, where you can call the public advocates office and say, "Hey, I'm supposed to be getting this or that, and I'm not getting it," and they will uh, help you out with that. So uh, that's a good reason to keep the office around, or or at least transfer that function somewhere if you're going to get rid of the office. Um, That's number one. And the other question I had is, um, originally there were, what, 23 people or even more?
1: There were probably only... more. Yeah, there were probably more at the outset.
8: <laughs> there were more, yeah. So I'm curious, one of these days, maybe, maybe after you finish uh, doing all the interviewing or in, or in between, you could run down exactly how difficult is it what exactly how many hoops do you have to jump through to get on the ballot um, and in connection with that, I guess this is my point number three, but if it 's okay to make three points. Um, a lot is being said now about. How how laws voting laws are getting better at the at the uh, state level, right? Mm-hmm. They made a big deal about all the changes. I didn't think there were ma- that many changes. And one of these days, maybe you could do a segment after this uh, public advocacy thing is over, and you have more time to do other things. A segment on what exactly has been done at the state level to make it easier to vote. I heard about a couple of things, but the things that I did not hear that are very important to me are the ability to register with a party uh, either same day of the primary or very shortly before. Just think of how many people I think would have voted for Bernie Sanders in the last primary. if they found out they had to register as Democrats the October before. Right. Um, so those, So if you could, you know, one of these days do a show on what exactly has been done and what remains to be done at the state level and maybe at the city level in terms of getting on the ballot, how difficult that is, and then how difficult it is to vote um, the way you want. Okay, so that's... Those are my, my well, comments and questions. Thank you. Thank no, you. I,
0: I appreciate it. I appreciate your call, and uh, that happens to be a subject very, very close to my heart. Uh, the difficulty of uh, uh, navigating the voting laws. Uh, you know how difficult it can be to uh, to be a candidate, and that's definitely something I would love to uh, talk about. I wish I could talk about it every week, but as of right now. We have.
1: We have our other candidate on a little later than we expected, but we're going to give him some airtime. Our final guest tonight is Tony Herbert, a community leader, Brooklyn native, president and CEO and chair of the Multicultural Restaurant and Nightlife Chamber of Commerce. Tony, welcome to Driving Forces.
9: Thank you so much. Speaking of driving, that's exactly what I'm doing. So sorry.
1: (laughs) Okay. Hopefully it's hands free.
9: Uh, yeah, totally, totally.
1: Okay, so for our listeners, you know, the, you weren't in the debate last night, so tell our listeners who you are and why you want to become public advocate because we've got about three and a half minutes left uh, before we're going to have to sign off, so we want to give them a sense of who you are.
9: Well, oh, you know, in a nutshell, I'm I'm a basic outsider. I'm a community advocate who's invested a lot of his own private time to give back to the community based on the work ethic that I uh, I was able to acquire working for several uh, elected officials. I worked for Congressman at Towns. I uh, worked in the city council, also worked in the state senate, and culminated with having had the experience of working on Wall Street for an investment bank um, as a vice president of government relations, as well as working for a advertising firm, a minority-owned uh, advertising firm, who I helped to get a Department of Defense contract.
0: And so uh, that's uh, that's very interesting. Uh, uh, you have a, a, a very uh, varied background, lots of different kinds of experiences. Um, I'm curious how. Uh, how hard or easy it is to make the sale for yourself as an outsider. People love an outsider candidate. That's uh, been a, a hallmark of a lot of elections lately, but you do seem to have a lot of experience working in government, obviously, you know, uh, with uh, Ed Towns and so on. Uh, what makes you an outsider, do you think? What makes you different?
9: Because I'm not beholden to the establishment who comes in and dictates what you do and say and how you do it and cut deals on the backs of the people. Culminate that with the thought process. As an outsider, I don't conform to uh, selling out my community for the most part. and That makes me an outsider because deals are being cut every day, which is killing and destroying um, everyday New Yorkers. Working for those elected officials have afforded me an opportunity to understand the process and being in a better position to help people and understanding who I need to call and what buttons I need to push in order to be able to be of assistance to my community.
0: So if you were elected advocate, what are some of the first things you would do with, uh, with that authority?
9: The first thing I would do is, first and foremost, is to uh, make sure that our young people have a seat at the table. I would afford them every opportunity to be a voice and be heard so that we can understand the issues that they're dealing with uh, for the most part and allowing them to be able to express that. Because everybody talks about, oh, you know, we need to work with our youth, but they never get them to the table. And I plan to do just that by structuring a citywide youth council under my under my administration, I should say, and thus create an opportunity for them to be heard. That's the first major thing. I can't prioritize it because there's a whole lot of things. I want to be able to help small businesses to be able to get access and keep our mom and pop shops vibrant in our community, albeit that they're being pushed out. Uh, couple that with the thought process, I want to bring back vocational training in our schools. I'm a product of uh, George Westinghouse Vocational Technical High School. And I very much learned how to do cabinet making, dentistry, jewelry making, um, electrical installation. We don't have those trades in the school anymore. And a lot of our young people are not going to college. So we've got to give them something so they can compete in the blue collar kind of market.
1: So, Tony, we're going to have to wrap up, and, but, you know, I want people to learn a little more about you. We've tried to give candidates as much time as we could during the show. Where should they go to learn more about you and to follow you?
9: Definitely can go to herbert 4 com. That's my website, Herbert4NYC.com, i.e. the same thing with Herbert4NYC on Instagram as well as Twitter.
1: Tony Herbert, and Facebook. Tony Herbert, thank you so much for joining Celeste Katz and me, thank Jeff Simmons here on Driving Forces. So we're going to be coming to a close in just a minute or two, but I just want to remind our listeners, please pledge to our Winter Fun Drive. Go to WBAI, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, give to WBAI.org or call 516-620-3602 and make a pledge uh, and you will, first seven people will get copies of Anatomy of Innocence. Uh, I uh, Tonight with like to thank my wonderful co-host Celeste. I would like to thank my
0: wonderful co-host Jeff
1: and Catherine thank you so much for a wonderful job scrambling to move things around James Catherine's been great we do miss you but Catherine's been fantastic tonight
0: yes thank you very much Catherine is our engineer here in the studio
1: if you missed any portion of the show please go to WBAI.org look under archives you'll find it it'll be up for 90 days Uh, and please tune in next week uh, on Wednesdays to Max and Murphy for ongoing coverage of the public advocates race that's at 5 o'clock and then come back to us next Thursday on Valentine's Day we're already got uh, we've already got a few creative ideas on uh, what we're going to be talking about next week so thanks very much and have a good evening
10: now I've been happy lately. Thinking about the good things to come And I believe it could be Something good has begun Oh, I've been smiling lately Dreaming about the world at one And I believe it could be Someday it's going to come Cause out Ow. on the edge of darkness There is a peace train or oh, peace train, take this country now, I've been smiling lately, thinking about the good things to come, and I believe it could be something good has begun. Oh, peace train, sounding louder, ride right on the peace train. Good friends too, because it's getting nearer, it soon will be with you. And come and join the living. It's
6: not you. Ladies and gentlemen, due to popular demand, on Friday, February 8th, 2019, from 12 midnight to 2 a.m. The award-winning Midnight Ravers will offer The Wicked Wilson Pickett Part 2 as our thank-you gift in exchange for your generous financial support. So now's your chance to get this unique 5-CD set in your collection. Don't miss out. Again, that's Friday, February 8th from 12 midnight to 2 a.m. for The Wicked Wilson Pickett Part 2. Only on WBAI in New York, 99.5 FM. You know it'll be ravalicious. The
10: Midnight Ravers where every show is a special.
6: This is Bob Law inviting you to join us for the first in a series of community forums being broadcast live here on WBAI. It's Saturday morning, February 9th at 11 a.m., broadcast live from Mist Harlem, 46 West 116th Street, doors open at 1030 a.m. Now, one of the issues to be addressed, is the black political agenda needed or will the blue wave serve the interests of black Americans? And let's understand why black women's organizations are beginning to say, respect us. This is a really important community forum, and we're looking for you on Saturday morning, February 9th at 11 a.m. Join me and noted R&B singer and activist Allison Williams as my co-host, live from Mist 46 West 116th Street in Harlem, and broadcast live right here on 99.5 WBAI. In 1963, Malcolm X argued the civil rights movement was too limiting and had to be elevated to the level of human rights. There's something about civil rights that makes it almost uh, uh, impossible for us to get it. So you have to know the difference between civil rights and human rights. As long as our people are begging for civil rights or they are labeling their struggle for freedom, justice, and equality under the label of civil rights, then what they do is Uh, leave us in the jurisdiction of Uncle Sam's court. And it's actually Uncle Sam who is guilty of all of the uh, violation of our rights that have taken place in this country. So when you go to Uncle Sam to try and get some kind of redress over civil rights uh, violations, you're taking your case to the man who's responsible for the the violation. So the only way our people can really get some meaningful results, it has to be taken out of Uncle Sam's hands and taken into a world court, in the world court that has been set up to listen to the complaints of human rights violations is in the United Nations.
10: In commemoration of the 70th anniversary of the signing of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and International Human Rights Day,
6: this Human Rights Moment has been brought to you by the U.S. Human Rights Network and your Pacifica Station. This is Glenn Ford of Black Agenda Report, urging you to join the Black Alliance for Peace campaign to end AFRICOM. The U.S.-Africa Command, AFRICOM, embedded in 53 African nations, where it foments increased militarism and violence against civilian populations. The Black Alliance for Peace demands the withdrawal of all U.S. and NATO forces from Africa, and the closure of all U.S. and NATO bases throughout the world world it's calling upon the congressional black caucus to oppose africom and hold hearings on its impact on african people the black alliance for peace is asking wbai listeners to go to our website and sign the online petition to shut down africom find out more at blackallianceforpeace.com that's blackallianceforpeace.com
7: Good evening.